it's time for more facts about the vax. Let's talk about the burden of proof on this episode of Pushback. Concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Pushback. This is Dr. Johnny, and we've been talking about the facts about the vax. Uh, I wanted to really draw attention to uh, vaccination and the topic of vaccination because. Uh, with this COVID-19, there is and there are vaccines on the horizon uh, that are being developed. And it excites me in the fact that I believe that there is hope for maybe ending this craziness. And a vaccine could be part of that solution. The problem we have, though, as a society and as a culture is there's been uh, sort of a, a fear or a apprehension about vaccines in general. And so I felt like with my medical practice and certainly my opinions, which I have a lot of, uh, I think it's good to talk about this openly and honestly and have a real discussion about vaccination. There's no way really to predict what's going to happen next in our world and with COVID. Uh, This is all new. And I'm just calling for my listeners to have a high degree of grace for this. Uh, there was measures that was imp- that were implemented early on in this, and they seem to have helped. Uh, when the measures were lifted, it seems to have gotten a little bit worse. Uh, now they are talking about mandatory masking that has come up this week, and I know that has been a hot topic. And I, I think it's a reasonable recommendation uh, to continue opening our society and our businesses and our uh, commerce with a safeguard in place. And I think that's the idea behind masking and, and enforcing the wearing of masks. But we as Americans, we don't like to be forced to do anything, especially in our culture. And, and that may be healthy, I think that maybe is a healthy culture, as long as we actually listen to each other, as long as we listen to the experts and we listen and choose to actually help each other, especially the vulnerable people in our population. See, the healthiest cultures, I believe, don't actually need external control. And that's what we're seeing, an attempt to externally control us. But we are to be internally controlled. And when, we're, when we are looking to do what is safest and what is the healthiest for ourselves and for each other, then I don't believe that we need to be externally controlled. So if we are proactive and informed, then a mask mandate may not be necessary because we would already be doing it. And I would argue as a physician, as a a medical expert, that wearing a mask is a pretty small price to pay. We just bristle when it's mandated to us, don't we? We don't like that. So let's do both. Let's be informed. Let's do what's best for our culture and protecting ourselves during these unprecedented times. 
And let's also make sure that our liberties aren't being stomped on and that we, that we have a voice and that we are being heard. And that's part of the heart behind this podcast is to be a platform for voices to be heard. Now, I want to be super clear, even though, as I'm sure you're guessing, I, I am a proponent of vaccination, but I do not propose mandatory vaccinations. I just feel that once people are informed, they will also see it as a small price to pay for perhaps even global healing. I, on the other hand, have no problem, uh, however, if private companies mandate it for their employees and for their customer safety. I think they also have the right to protect themselves. It's their right. It's like forcing their employees to wear a hard hat or to have the appropriate driver's license for the vehicle they drive for their business. I believe these are safeguards that companies have the right to mandate to their employees. Vaccines are kind of a different animal. I, I get that. It's it's more invasive. And, and However, I believe that we as Americans do have the right to protect ourselves and see it as that. See, I have been listening a lot this week uh, and the weeks prior to preparing this uh, to sort of the quote-unquote other side of the argument and their concerns. And so I want you to know that, that I have been open-minded to these things and I've been listening to the other side. And and I, I know that there are a lot of people that talk about pro-vaccination as if as if people are 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 adamant about any vaccination that's available you should get. And then there's the anti-vax people that say you shouldn't get any vaccination. When the truth of the matter is there's probably a lot of people somewhere in between. And and it's okay for us to have a real, intelligent, knowledgeable conversation about vaccinations. And I've also heard the concerns as, as I've been leaning into this topic that doctors tend to brush aside the concerns about vaccines, that we have been accused of sort of drinking the Kool-Aid in medical school and, and that we are ignorant to the dangers that are there and we just blindly say, nope, this is good, just take it. Well, I don't want to be that doctor. So here I am, here I am with a pushback podcast and I want to hear your concerns. I want you to, to talk to me about this topic in a forum of honor and respect so that we do what is best for us, for our families, for our children. That's what we all want. It's common ground. And, it was I, and what I shared last podcast, we're all on the same team here. And so I know last week I maybe was bad cop. This week I want to be a little bit good cop. <laughs> I am not against alternative medicine. And not all objections to vaccines are just from that camp either, to be fair. What I'm against, though, is backbiting and tearing down and dismissing one another. And most importantly, using fear as a tool of influence. I'm not a fan of that. I don't think we should ever make decisions for us or for our family through a filter of fear. And so if you are being bombarded with fear, fear rhetoric, I would ask you to be cautious of that filter, to remove the filter of fear and really pursue truth towards healing. Remember, we're all on the same team. Jesus even said it. They aren't against us. They're for us. (laughs) 
it's important that we understand that we as medical professionals, uh, we as those who are advocates for health in our society, we're all on the same team. We all want what's best. So for this podcast, I want to focus on what I refer to as the burden of proof. And here's the simple uh, position I want to take for this podcast. Whoever makes a claim has the burden of proof. And unfortunately, what I've been seeing a lot, and, and I'll use Facebook as an example, is there's a lot of things that are being thrown out there as claims without backing it with the burden of proof. And if you take that information on Facebook and you forward it and you pass it on without receiving the burden of proof connected to it, then you are actually releasing information that I would say is empty, empty information. So there are people in this discussion that say vaccines are efficacious and safe. I would happen to be more in that camp. And there are people that say vaccines don't work and they are unsafe. And I want to respect both positions, but both positions are claims that require a burden of proof. So any claim that is made, you are actually taking the cloak, you are actually putting on to yourself then the burden of proof to defend what you are claiming. Otherwise, it can fall into the realm of conspiracy theory or, 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 or abject um, hearsay or even just anecdotal type evidence. And we don't want to do that. It's hard to sift through some of those things. So we want to... Uh, respectfully take the burden of proof because it's important and it's and it's and it's critical to the discussion that we talk about with vaccines so wild claims are made not often evidence-based i talked about that a lot in the last podcast that vaccines are unsafe but oftentimes they don't stand behind that burden of proof and so i want to discuss from that angle from the the issue of burden of proof so let's talk about a few of those claims that have been made that say that vaccines are unsafe. One myth that does not seem to go away is that DTP vaccine causes sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS. You may have heard this before. This belief came about because of a moderate proportion of children who die of SIDS who have recently been vaccinated with DTP. Now, on the surface, this would seem to point towards what we call a casual connection. But this logic is faulty. This is one of those, one of those leapfrog-type evidences. Because you might as well have said that eating bread causes car crashes. Because most drivers who crash their cars could probably be shown to have eaten bread within the last 24 hours. So to say that a child who died of SIDS what do they all have in common? Well, they all have been recently vaccinated with DTP. Well, that is not evidence. That is a casual connection that does require investigation. So what have the investigators found? Nearly unanimously, they found that the number of SIDS deaths temporarily associated with DTP vaccinations was in the range expected to occur by chance. By chance. In fact, several of the studies actually show that children who had recently developed a DP, or recently received a DTP shot were actually less likely to get SIDS. 
That's what the evidence shows. That's what the investigation came behind those casual connections. And so we can't just connect ourselves to the headline that says children who receive DTP are more likely to die of SIDS because the studies have actually not proven that. So the claim doesn't have the burden of proof. So we all are aware, and, I, and I'm somewhat in shock that this is still a conversation, that there has been a, an attempt to connect mercury in vaccines to autism. We have noticed an increase in autism rates, and it's still increasing. There has been an attempt to try to cause a connection between the, the mercury, even though an extremely small amount, to children developing autism. Well, one thing was easily done. Uh, thimerosal, the mercury additive to the vaccines, were actually all removed in 2001. Now, it wasn't removed because there was a direct connection between mercury and autism. It was removed because of the apparent potential causal connection. So they decided just to remove it. It wasn't based on evidence. It was based on social pressure. So they removed the mercury from the vaccine. Now, what should have happened very quickly within a very short generational span Autism should have declined, and it not only should have declined, it really should have gone to zero the second that the mercury was removed from the vaccine. The problem is, is that the autism rates have continued to increase, continued to increase. Now, some of the increased autism rates have to do with doctors simply getting better at diagnosing autistic children. And we know that we've heard of the spectrum of autism because there's a wide range of spectrum and all of these are now being classified as the autistic spectrum. Because of that, the numbers are increasing simply because detection has been getting better. But clearly, there is no now no even causal connection between mercury and autism. The facts simply were wrong. The claims were wrong. And the evidence that all with autism happened to be vaccinated was wrong. And so there was a simple misunderstanding. So what is causing autism? We're unsure. Maybe it's milk. Maybe it's bread. Maybe it's water. Maybe it's anything else with a causal connection. Maybe all of these need to be investigated. But we can say with really 100% certainty that it's not mercury. And if you dig deeper into the whole mercury discussion, there are different types of mercury. There's mercury called ethyl mercury, which is thimerosal, which is the preservative put into vaccines. That does not accumulate in human tissue. There is something called methylmercury, which is found in fish, and that's why there is a lot of recommendations to limit your fish uh, intake because that mercury does accumulate in your tissues. Nothing to do with thimerosal. It's a complete misunderstanding of even how the mercury would work in our body. But again, the whole point is moot because it's not even in vaccines anymore. It's the same discussion between ethyl and methyl alcohol. Ethyl, ethyl alcohol is basically what you find in beer. Methyl alcohol is what you find in windshield wiper fluid. If you drink that, you're in a world of hurt. These are different substances altogether. So my question is, 
Where was the burden of proof? Where are these people that said that mercury is directly connected or causal to autism? Those people need to be honorable and they need to stand up and simply say, oops, I was wrong. That is not the case. And we need to change the conversation about it because there is no connection. They have the burden of proof. If they are still making the claim, there is no proof. And they are required to back up their claim. And because Mercury kind of fell to the wayside, unfortunately, they have turned their attention now to aluminum. Aluminum is an additive uh, in vaccines that actually does help trigger a stronger immune response to the vaccine. This is true. But it is present in minuscule amounts in vaccines. So let me give you some perspective on aluminum. So we get one milligram per kilogram per week of aluminum into our bodies from diet alone. Okay, let's say I'm a 70 to 80 kilogram man. That means that I'm getting 80 milligrams per week from my diet alone of aluminum. A vaccine given to a child has less than one milligram. The total of all vaccines in the first six months of life given to a child is four milligrams. That is half the amount that is found naturally in breast milk and one-tenth of the amount found in formula. So if we are concerned about aluminum, we probably should target formula And I don't know if anybody's going to be brave enough to say that we should discontinue breastfeeding. The amount is so minuscule. Now, again, the burden of proof is on the ones making the claim that aluminum is actually causing autism or, or neuromuscular problems in children. If you're making the claim, then you have the burden of proof. Small traces of formaldehyde and thimerosal, these occur naturally and process naturally in our bodies. The the amount is so small. But that's often not what is said when these claims are made. They make it seem like it is packed with toxins. So to make a claim, you have to receive the burden of proof. So are vaccines safe and efficacious? the claim that I'm making, well, I have study after study demonstrating the safety and efficacy of vaccines over decades, over a large body of work. I have put in some time and done the work. It does not make me an immunology expert, okay? But I have looked into this and I can say to you, my listeners, that I am confident in the safety and efficacy of vaccines. And to make that claim, I have to then receive that burden of proof. Okay, so let's say that there is some risk or maybe even some unknowns connected with vaccine, vaccines. Which may be the case when a vaccine such as COVID-19 is being fast-tracked. There might be some unknowns connected to that. That is true. So what I would like to talk about even in my next podcast is the issue of risk versus benefit. Anything that we do in life has risk. That is just true. One of the most dangerous things that we can do as a human being is get behind the wheel of a car and drive a car. Studies have shown that 
There is tremendous risk. And yet most of us every single day say, well, the benefit actually outweighs the risk. And so we continue to drive our car daily. We had the privilege of going camping and my father-in-law offered to pull me up water skiing. Now, I was an avid water skier as a young man. (laughs) Not so much as an older man, but I do love it so much that I weighed the risk versus the benefit. And after a while of wrestling that, I decided I'm going to go ahead and do it for a very short period of time. I did get up, everything went fine, but I did not ski for very long. (laughs) Stamina ain't what it used to be. But I was okay, a little bit sore the next day, but I figured that the benefit, the enjoyment I would have in getting up on skis and enjoying the beautiful summer day in Minnesota outweighed the risk. We do this every single day. So some claim, and I say this respectfully, some claim that the risk of vaccines are high and the benefit is low. So opting out of vaccines is the prudent thing to do. I respect that position and I would love to continue to discuss that with you. Others claim, like myself, that the risk of vaccines is incredibly low and the benefit is so high that choosing vaccination makes the most sense. So in the next podcast, I will respectfully address both sides of these claims. And, And I want to address the common objections to vaccines because I respect those positions and I want to talk about those, but I want to hear from you. So you have this week to send me questions, comments, concerns, things for me to look into. And hopefully you will trust me that I will treat your question or your viewpoint with honor and respect, even though I may not agree with it. See, I have heard the objections that doctors tend to dismiss opposing viewpoints. And I don't want to be that doctor. But rather, I want to give you an opportunity and a platform to share your thought and your concerns, even if they disagree with mine. Bill from Minnesota wrote me about a vaccine concern. Let me share his letter. Hi, John. Love listening to your podcast about facts about the vax. I do have one question on the emerging COVID-19 vax. I have heard discussion, but not able to verify credibly that some vaccine pursuits are using aborted fetal tissue to produce the vaccine. This seems out there to me, yet if true, I would opt out of using that vaccine. Can you speak to this claim? Thank you, Bill, for that question. Yes, I have done some research. I have looked into this, and this is what I have found. Uh, There is something called Operation Warp Speed, actually promoted by our president, to try to uh, obtain and develop vaccines for COVID-19. And currently there are 120 candidates uh, trying to develop a vaccine that would work for the masses. Um, 10 of these, of the 120, 10 are already in clinical trials. So that's an encouraging sign that things are moving. Um, I have learned, however, that four of those 10 have used fetal cells from an aborted child uh, that came from Amsterdam in 1972 and one piece of tissue from 1985. It was quite a long time ago. It was from Amsterdam, but they have used these. Now, the concern is real. And I'm not, I'm not smart enough to I'm not smart enough to know why they would do this. I don't know if it's cheaper or if it's faster to try to use these fetal cells. But I do know this, that the Trump administration is addressing this and they are encouraging and financially incentivizing quote-unquote, ethically derived vaccines. So I agree with you, Bill, that some vaccines would be a no-go for me and for many Americans. 
So we need to watch this closely. So thank you, Bill, for bringing that to my attention and to our listeners' attention. We will keep updated on that topic specifically. So I just want to thank you for listening to me, um, and I'm looking forward to your responses. Agreeing or disagreeing? I want to hear this so that we can talk about this, that we can address the issues with honor and respect for one another. It's healthy for our culture to do this. So let's go together now and set and shape the culture. Mm